Monday. 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 Open wide, dev fans. Get ready to stuff your face with JavaScript, CSS, Node modules, barbecue tips, Git workflows, breakdancing, soft skills, web development, the hastiest, the craziest, the tastiest web development treats. Coming in hot, here is Wes, Barracuda, Boss, and Scott, El Toro Loco, Tolinsky. Welcome to Syntax on this Monday Hasty Treat. We're going to be talking about slow connections, and uh, this is going to be part two of these hasty treats that we're doing. Who knows how many we're going to do because it seems like there's so many of these tips, these hasty, tasty tips here we got for you. My name is Scott Tolinsky. I'm a developer from Denver, Colorado, and with me, as always, is Wes Balls. How you doing? Hey, everybody. I'm excited to talk to you on my slow connection about slow connections more stuff about how to account for slow internet connections cool well this episode is sponsored by kyle prinsloo's studywebdevelopment.com it was a little bit more about that is wes yes kyle prinsloo has his course which is everything you need to master freelancing man he's got uh, over 2500 people have already taken this course which is pretty impressive and what this is, is a course, you go ahead and buy it and you get all kinds of stuff in this course. There's an ebook for freelancing. There's an ebook for web design. There's a bunch of HTML, CSS templates. There's a CSS Spice Chrome extension. What? Yeah, cssspice.com. Spice. Like an inspector extension yeah. to show you different properties and whatnot. If you select an element, it'll show you what's styling on that. Uh, there's a Slack community, a Facebook community. This is really important when you're trying to be a freelancer. Perspective client questionnaire, because you need to know what are the questions you ask your client before you build something. A proposal template, SEO checklist. Oh, I'm not going to go through absolutely everything on here because there's tons that you get with the bundle. But check it out at studywebdevelopment.com forward slash freelancing. And you can see everything that you get in the bundle um, in order to become a freelancer yourself. I think this is probably very a very good time to maybe brush up on freelancing skills because of the, the shaky job market right now. I know that a lot of people will be in between jobs over the next couple of months, which is unfortunate. But if there's any way to make a little bit of money while you're in between jobs and as well as keep on top of your web development skills, I definitely think freelancing is that. So we got a coupon code here. It is Syntax. That's going to get you 25% off the entire course. Thanks so much to Kyle Prinsloo and studywebdevelopment.com for slash freelancing for sponsoring. How you doing? You doing good? You doing good? I actually got my MacBook computer back in three days. So I'm on my, my fancy new computer again, once again. I'm impressed at how quickly you got that back. You have no luck with computers. So the I'm worst that you could actually get it back. Yeah, I bought a backup computer, which is kind of a crazy thing. But I bought a backup computer, which is going to be a Linux machine. It's a System76 machine. So we're going to do a whole episode on that in the future. So I know this is a hasty treat. We don't normally do banter at the beginning. But, you know, I just we felt do what like, we want. Yeah, we do what we want. We, we make the rules here. Yeah. So let's get going. Let's first talk about images. Now, images are one of the most killer things for any website's download time because there's just nothing you can do about images. They're going to be hefty, hefty, hefty just about all the time with some small exceptions. And there is a lot of different techniques you can use and utilize to make your usage of images just a little bit better. I mean, you think about it, we have like a JavaScript bundle and the solution to making your JavaScript less bundly is to use less JavaScript, right? But in an image, there's only 
there's only so much data you can remove for an image, right? Before the compression gets to be bad. That's where you'll see a lot of companies right now, they're doing a lot of research. You have a lot of new image formats coming out, whether that's WebPs or or various things like that. But what are some strategies that we can have to reduce the load of our images? Now, one, here's here's the here's the the beginner tip number one. Do not serve an image larger than you need. I remember back in Dreamweaver days, there used to be a button that was like optimize image that all it did was make the image the actual width of the way it was displayed. And that was like when I was first, like my very first website, I had some person be like, your images are huge. I mean, this is when high school, somebody's like, your images are huge. You just click that optimize image button. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes my site a little lot faster. It should be like the very first step. Don't serve an image larger than what you need. First step. Next one we have here is resize your images on the client before uploading, which is something a lot of people don't think about. They always think about like loading download fast. But if you have an application that where the user has to upload stuff, a photo off your iPhone is mm. three or four megs. Uh, they're massive. That, that takes forever to upload on some of these things. And not to mention someone needs to upload six or seven images you're just killing their data plan with that. Um, and it is so easy to resize images in the browser. You just pop it into a canvas element, resize a canvas element, pop it out of the canvas element, and you've got the the resize image. You can just convert that thing to binary string and, and post it over to the server. So always think about that. The next one we have here is width and height content on placeholder images. So not a lot of people do this anymore because of responsive design. It's frustrating to do set the width and height attributes on an image, but also make them responsive. But you can always overwrite width and height attributes at smaller values. But it's really frustrating to go to a website and start reading something um, and then have the content shift down or the button shift down because the image has then loaded and the browser knows how big it is and then it has to, to shift everything around. So width and height is key for not having page jank as the slow site is loading. Another tip we have here is to crunch your images to compress them with lossless compression. There's a lot of different ways you can do this. A lot of build tools do it nowadays. There's also, if you're working on a a little bit less of a build tool heavy process, which I don't know, a lot of people probably aren't nowadays, but there's an app called Image Optum, or there's a lot of image compression software on the web that you just drop your images to, and it removes all of the metadata. You need the extra color data that doesn't need to be there all while keeping your images looking the exact same. And and I've seen like huge reduction in image sizes doing this. This is something I would never not do. There's obviously ways to do this within your build tool as well. And maybe even some stuff with, you could have like a continuous integration sort of workflow with like a a GitHub action or something that could go crunch your images on commit or something like that. I know you've experienced quite a bit of crunching things on commits with your Gatsby site and just how long image processing can take. But it really depends on your setup. It can be one of those things that is very nice to have. Totally. There's We've talked about this a hundred times. There's services, there's Git hooks, there's local apps, all kinds of stuff. Just find some way to, to compress your images. Next up, we have uh, use SVG where possible. So a lot of times the, the logo of the website, a lot of these things can be used as SVG. SVGs are significantly smaller and can be infinitely scaled up because they are vector-based. Yeah, definitely. And they can even be straight up server-side rendered inline. 
So next one is going to be lazy load images where possible. That's actually becoming increasingly easy given the fact that you can now just drop a, is the tag just lazy, right? Yeah, lazy attribute on your image tag. So there's browsers that support the lazy attribute will take care of it. Other ones that won't, well, hey, they won't just yet, but at least that's some progressive enhancement for you. I use the React lazy load plugin that works really well for lazy loading images. I think that's something that it should definitely be done, especially for things that are out of the viewport. Yeah, that's that's an easy one to add. Next, we have scripts and CSS assets. So we, I'm not going to talk about this again, but make sure that you're appropriately loading your, your CSS and your scripts. We did a whole series of hasty treats on things that cause your website to be slow. Go back and listen to those ones. Next is video. This is one thing I didn't do initially when I launched my course platform is I just had one mm-hmm. type of video and users on slow connections would not be able to smoothly watch the video because it just was too large. So some sort of player that does variable video processing, whether it will drop down to a lower resolution or something like that, absolutely key. Next up, we want to talk about connections that go in and out. So you might have a fast connection, but if you are going into the subway or you uh, walk under a bridge or something like that and your connection goes out for a minute or even 10 seconds, it's important to show some sort of UI to the user that they are offline. And it's very easy to do this in your applications. You just have an ad event listener for the offline and online events. Uh, you listen on the window uh, and then at that function, you can go ahead and set state online true or online false. You could probably make a React hook called use online that returns true or false. Very easy to do. Same thing with like if you have data that needs to be saved, but it's not pushed up to the cloud yet, telling the user, I'm going to retry to upload this or retry to save this in 10 seconds. I think Slack does probably the best job I've seen Mm -hmm. at doing this. Yeah, Discord has a really nice one too. I think that is an important capability, especially if it's like a real-time thing. If it's a website, obviously you don't need to alert people. But if it's anything where people are inputting content and viewing content in real time, then potentially I think that's an important aspect. So next one is going to be service workers. Now I'm interested in maybe getting, we should get like a service worker expert on here. Service workers are a bit of a mystery to me in terms of writing us. Like I could not write my own service worker from scratch, but I have never tried and I've never really looked too in depth at it. Do you know the internals of what a service worker does exactly how it does it? Yeah. Yeah. It, I've talked about a little bit on the Cloudflare workers API because it's very similar is that a service worker sits at the network level and intercepts requests. That's that's one thing it does is it sits at the network level and allows you to both save values to your cache as well as intercept requests and serve up cached HTML, CSS, images, things like that. Service workers can also be used for other things as well, but that's probably the most popular one is is showing an offline version of the website. They are a little bit tricky. I'm always a little bit scared to put them on because you can accidentally get into a spot where you cache the website and then someone visits it. Luckily, you can always, a service worker will always try to check for a new version of itself on every page load. So you can always clear that cache. But I agree that they're much harder than I think they have to be. They are, yeah. Google is working on something. It's like worker, 
Workbox by Google is a, a nice little library that will allow huh. you to do things like um, progressive web apps very easily without having to, to know all the nitty gritty service worker stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah. Cool. So the next one we have here is font loading. So one, one trouble with fonts in the browser is that if you use a custom web font, then your browser will show you nothing until that font has then been loaded, which is frustrating to the users because they don't care about your custom font when their internet is slow. They just want to read right. the actual content of it. So you can use the font display property of your font when you define the at font face. And you can set it to fallback. You can set it to swap. Swap is most likely what you want, where it will take like 100 milliseconds or 200 milliseconds. And if it hasn't downloaded, or sorry, that's fallback, not swap. Fallback will try to download the font. And if it's taking too long, then it'll just show the fallback font face, which is which is what you want. And I think that's also the default in a lot of browsers now. And your browser will also determine how long it should try to download the font before it then falls back. But definitely check out your font display, especially if the developer have that font installed locally on your computer and it just shows up immediately when you visit. <laughs> That's why I always like to name my fonts something different than what they are on my computer. Oh, nice. So yeah, that smart. you can still get the feeling of what is it like for regular visitors. In the very, like the case where performance is absolutely essential in these things and you can using a system font is going to be totally the fastest every single time there's going to be no font download requirement you know there's this little snippet i'll put it in the show notes here it's font family apple system blink mac system font mm -hmm. sego ui roboto oxygen ubuntu open sans helvetica new it's this like massive font stack that will give you a really nice font regardless of of what you're on and that's kind of my default and then I'll, I'll go for a custom font, usually on headings and things like that. Word. Next one we have here is just some CSS tricks, <laughs> like, the, like the website. If you have text over top of an image, make sure that your background color matches that yes. as well as possible. Because if you have like a white background and a black image and you've got white text, you're not going to be able to see that text until the background image loads. So make sure you set your background image show your background color to be something similar to that image. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I don't think about that a whole ton, but that is that is definitely right. So let's talk briefly about like testing these things. I, I don't know. There seems like there's a billion services to test these things and to really experience them. I use obviously the audits tab within Google developer or Chrome developer tools to really run an audit to see where the potential slowdowns could be. But like you have listed here, the ability to mimic a slow connection goes a really long ways. Now, Wes doesn't need to mimic a slow connection because he has <laughs> one right now, but I have a really fast connection and uh, I often forget a little bit about just how fast my connection is. So if you head into Chrome Developer Tools, you head to the Network tab, you'll see that they have the ability, there's a dropdown, it typically by default says online, which just means you're online. Now you can test to see your site in offline here already, but you can also test to see if it's in a fast 3G network, 3G, yeah fast 3G or a slow 3G, or there's some custom ones where you can actually get down into the nitty gritty of throttling it. So you can make a custom profile and choose the actual amount of KBs, download, upload, latency, 
all that stuff. You know, and I'm surprised they haven't updated this to have like 4G be the option. Cause like, honestly, 3G, who's using 3G still? You can give me an edge network next. <laughs> Check your privilege at the door, Scott. A lot of people are still on 3G. Are they? Myself included. Are you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Man, I'm, I'm not with that. I will cause of like 5G is the thing now. So I just figured 4G was ubiquitous. My phone regularly dips into 3G. Well, I take that back. I'm sorry. Depending on, on how far I am from the, yeah. <laughs> Plus like, also, we're thinking about just like all around the world in, in a lot of developing countries don't have 4G absolutely everywhere because like the faster these connections get, the more towers that are needed. So 5G needs towers every couple blocks, whereas 3G needs towers every, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 kilometers. So there's a lot of places. I guess it's different in Canada because Canada is a massive country with like a tenth of the population of the U.S., and there is a lot of spots in Canada that still don't have have LTE connections or the LTE connections are are heavily throttled. Like I, I do get LTE up here, but they are heavily throttled just because there's 2000 cottagers on the one tower <laughs> and, and one tower can only do like 100 megabits, I read. And Scott's here sitting with 10 times that on one Internet connection for his office, right? It's nuts to think yes, about. <laughs> it is. It is. And, and I... I understand that is not common. In fact, for a very long time, I just really wanted fiber internet forever and ever and ever. I would watch the the updates of when it's going to roll out to Google and whatever. And then one yeah. day we just got a, a little letter in the mail that says CenturyLink has fiber. Now, granted, CenturyLink does not deliver the speeds that I'm paying for. But it's it's like, am I going to really complain that hard getting 700 up and down or something when I like am paying for <laughs> a gig? I don't, I'm probably not going to complain about that. It's important, I guess, if you're doing video and stuff like that, but I would absolutely love to get that. I can't wait for the day. Like, I bet in the next couple years, we'll get that where I live in in Hamilton. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's important to note all of this. Even just, even if you have like 15 megabits down, that's fast enough to load most websites in a second or so. But it's, it's when you get down to just like one, two, three megabits down. That's when a lot of these things that I'm talking about here start to show their cracks come to a crawl yeah especially in yeah. today's javascript framework world am i right <laughs> there you go we'll start the flame war all right that's it for today that's all the things i have oh i, I should also say that you can throttle your connection in firefox as well you have to use the mobile emulator and there is a drop down that says the different types of throttling and that 4g lte is an option cool Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have any tips of your own, make sure you tweet us at SyntaxFM and we will catch you on Wednesday. Peace. Peace. Head on over to Syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.